This is Authorised Access, a podcast from Microsoft Australia and New Zealand about the cybersecurity challenges facing businesses today. On the show, you'll hear from leaders in cybersecurity from Microsoft and beyond as we explore high-level strategies to help confront risk in your organisation. We are living today in a multi-cloud, multi-platform, multi-environment world. It is more critical than ever that we keep our business safe. I'm Daniel Goffredo. I'm Jess Dodson. And I'm Kenny Singh. Hello, and thank you for joining us for another Authorised Access episode. Before we talk to our next guest, we're going to go around the room and talk about what's happening this week. For me, I always like to check out what is happening with identity. And last week, I said we'll be going a little bit deeper on our Keem solution, Microsoft Entry Permissions Management. What I love about it is that Entry Permissions Management provides comprehensive visibility into permissions assigned to all identities, including workload and user identities, actions and resources across multi-cloud infrastructures in Microsoft Azure, AWS, and Google Cloud. Our customers are adopting multi-cloud, and while providing incredible benefits, it has created a new attack surface, which simply did not exist five years ago. Because managing identity across a multi-cloud, multi-platform estate is complex, with reduced visibility as each cloud infrastructure has their own access control operating model making it difficult and time-consuming to implement consistent security policies. Being honest with you, I'm only scratching the surface as I've just been using the Discover and Assess in looking at risk profiles against the Permission Creep Index, which provides an amazing report showing the gap between permissions granted and permissions used. I'll share more in future episodes about the remediation and automation capabilities. And if you're interested, hop online and search for Entry Permissions Management or reach out to let Microsoft do a risk assessment and start a free trial. Hey Jess, what's been going on in your week? Hi Dan, and thanks. I've been digging a bit deeper into our Defender stack recently, and I had the pleasure of attending an internal bootcamp around Defender for Endpoint and Defender for Office 365. It's highlighting for me how far we've come as an organization with our security offerings and how well we're integrating our products together to give our customers that end-to-end security visibility across their entire digital estate. I've also been playing around with more KQL, as I know we had Matt Zorick from WA join us here at Microsoft recently. And his 365 days of KQL has been a real eye-opener for me. Highly recommend to our listeners to go and look at Matt's Microsoft Sentinel 101 blog and get lost in his learnings. So that's it for me. What about you, Kenny? Thank you, Jess. I've been looking at three things this week. I've been looking at a data governance guide. This is a step-by-step instruction set that's just recently been published. It helps organizations understand what are those distinct steps that they can actually take in implementing their data governance program on Microsoft 365 content. So very, very handy guides. I've also been looking at DLP email notifications and policy tips. So we had a lot of requests and a lot of feedback from customers that they wanted greater granularity of administration when configuring DLP email notifications, policy tips. The granularity included what kind of events generated the email notifications, who these email notifications went to, when the policy tips got displayed. So there's a lot of granularity in the system now in administration. And that absolutely was a very asked for feature request. And then I've also been looking at privacy risk management as a part of Microsoft Priva and what we actually call data subject request management. So these are two distinct capabilities, privacy risk management, self-explanatory. It actually helps you really visualize, understand, and manage the privacy risk in your organization. So really simple to use capability. 
Then we have data subject request management. And this really helps you simplify the whole data subject request process, you know, collecting content when you actually get a data subject request and uses automation and AI and ML. And look, all of this can very easily be taken for a test drive through the new Microsoft Priva trial. And that's it for me. Back to you, Dan. Today, we're chatting with Gavin Van Nyko. Gavin is the practice manager of cybersecurity at Quora and has over 20 years of experience in the industry. It was great to speak to Gavin because he has real practical experience confronting cybersecurity threats and he's shared a really great perspective. In this episode, Gavin will share key challenges as they apply to modern SOCs, the role of integrated security and the emerging field of IoT and OD security. Okay, let's get into it. Gavin actually needs no introduction, but for the purpose of this conversation, Gav, can I please request you to introduce yourself, please? Hi, Kenny. I'm the practice manager for cybersecurity at, at Quorum. Uh, so within the practice, I have two areas of responsibility. One is security operations, where our managed detection response capability resides. We refer to this as CyberOne. The other side of the practice really focuses on professional services. So this is where we deliver all of our Microsoft security projects. It's really good to have you on the show, Gav. And as someone who um, I've actually had the privilege to work with for many, many years, it's just been absolutely incredible to see the evolution of the CyberOne service and all the outcomes that you've actually been driving with our customers. So the first question then, what are the most significant recurring set of challenges you hear from SOC teams across Australia and New Zealand in all the work that you do? Kenny, if I had to summarize and give you some headlines, certainly these would include capacity, team burnout, and too many tools. So if we dive a little bit deeper into each of these, how we address capacity is working smart and where possible, not hard. In other words, we look at our data sets to determine where we are not getting value from the security insights and work to reduce the noise. The net result of this is that ideally we free up some capacity, even if it is minimal. Take the win. My son told me the other day, Dad, learn to rest, not to give up. Once you reduce the noise, you can focus on automation, and automation is the goal. But you don't want to automate bad outcomes. So that's one of the angles that we look at increasing our capacity. If we consider burnout, I mean, this is a common theme, I think, certainly across security analysts. So managing burnout requires a multi-pronged approach, in my opinion. We find ourselves somewhere between post-COVID and not post-COVID. Yes, acknowledging we faced this issue before COVID, but it has had a toll. As a team, we're trialing an idea of, of headspace days. The idea is that every month or frequency that works for your team, you're allocated time to clear your head, focus on those reoccurring items you have on your list that you know will make your life easier you know, in this context around security operations. If you could just find the time, it's intended to be a work-focused day rather than a personal day. We do cater for personal me days, but we cater for these in other ways. Finally, a reoccurring theme that I often hear from customers and security teams is they have too many tools. It's great to have tooling. I think a lot of us technologists, but what we hear is often the tools don't natively integrate. 
they don't work that well together and are sometimes difficult to work with. So this tends to compound the issues that we've spoken about. Gavin, that's a really good point. And you talking about burnout and too many tools. And I feel like my next question is around still talking about tools and understanding, well, from your perspective, what are the standard tools or how do we standardize? What are the the roles and role descriptions and different services for a modern security operations team? There's several elements for me. Match them to your needs as you mature your SOC or your security team's capability. So if we talk about tools, I tell my team often to use the right tool for the job. If we look at our CyberOne platform, it's designed to streamline security service delivery and incident management. We're not going to build a separate platform to perform threat hunting. We use Microsoft Sentinel or Microsoft 365 for that. It's important to have sufficient coverage. We've moved away from the days of antivirus alone being sufficient. You need EDR capability. From there, you continue to develop your cyber maturity with a strategy that manages your risk profile. When we talk about roles, we've hosted and facilitated several red team, blue team engagements, and also worked with the Microsoft team in the Into the Breach program, which is intended to train and upskill security teams. What we see consistently is that roles need to be defined and understood. Security, security operations, it's a team game. We see the best results when teams understand their roles, but also given an opportunity to practice in a safe, emulated environment to further sharpen those skills and iron out new wrinkles. Having a hybrid team will also give you better outcomes. What I mean is that if you can create a tiered structure, and yes, we use NIST as a guiding framework within the team, but supplement that with security architects, supplement it with network engineers and cross-platform specialists, you will reduce not only the skills gap, but be better prepared for containment and recovery. And when we're talking about some of those frameworks, you mentioned NIST. One of the other frameworks that we see being used quite often is the MITRE ATT&CK framework. So from your perspective, how can a SOC team operationalize that and use that to their best advantage? I absolutely love the MITRE ATT&CK framework. The team myself, we spend a lot of time in MITRE. I love in terms of the technical depth, but also the simplicity. I quite often use it in conversations with customers that never heard about MITRE ATT&CK framework before. It's quite quickly to easily to bring them up to speed to get a baseline understanding. But it also gives you that technical depth to have real in-depth technical conversations with other security professionals that are as passionate as we are. I think the best real-world example I can give you is when we hosted a security team. On day one, they got absolutely smashed. And we're talking red team, blue team, and here we threw a whole lot of advanced persistent threats at them. On day one, as I was saying, they got absolutely smashed. They got flawed and ended up being ransomed. Big surprise. <laughs> that evening, they spent some time together to plan out roles. Don't overcomplicate it. it. can be developed and redefined, refined over time. On day two, they were back. They had the same incident response team responding, but they had taken the opportunity to develop a MITRE attack roll-up workbook in Microsoft Sentinel to show attack progress within the MITRE stages. 
It was the responsibility of one team member to post updates every 15 minutes to the incident channel within Teams. This simple but effective step allowed the team to be several times more effective as this information was flowing more freely and decisions could be made quickly. They performed much better and they felt they had swung the momentum just using that simple framework and getting the best from it to optimize the operational capability. I think that leads really nicely into our next question. So when we're talking about that operations function and we're looking at modernizing operations, can you tell us how you think about modernizing security operations at Quorum, leveraging that integrated Microsoft security and how your CyberOne managed security service enables that modernization? Data is key. I sometimes wonder if I should invest in upskilling in some big data education because <laughs> really what we're dealing with a lot of times is big data warehouses from a security perspective, and I absolutely love that. A lot of the time, what we're dealing with is lots and lots of data via the various security signals. The more security tools we add, adds to the security data warehouse, as I mentioned. This is where we need to leverage the smarts of tools like Seam plus XDR to do a lot of the heavy lifting for us. What we want to be doing is focusing on customer-specific security use cases. The whole point is to reduce risk to an appropriate level for our customers. So if we pivot to CyberOne, CyberOne as a platform is designed, as I mentioned previously, to streamline security service delivery and incident management. It could be understood as a wrapper for not only Microsoft tools. Yes, we wrap seamlessly around the Microsoft tools being Seam and XDR. Importantly, and also coming through customer expectation, customer conversation, customer interest is third party. And we achieve this through Microsoft Sentinel. Within the platform, we spend a lot of time developing dashboards that simplify security insights. One example is trending information to highlight areas that need more focus, whether this is phishing insights that inform the need for an education campaign or trending that highlights what customers often know, but know where to start with vulnerability and patch management. We provide this information. So customers can quickly determine where they need to invest their resources today, this week, this month. I like to advise improvement programs over a quarter generally, using those insights, simplifying it for our customers, but giving enough time for the team to mobilize. Gavin, as we're talking about CyberOne and customers, and I'm going to touch on a topic that Jess is very passionate about talking about, getting the basics right. And we know that when we're looking at the cyber operation teams and the different frameworks, we've already mentioned MITRE, we've got NIST, we've got obviously other standards. When we look at things like the ASD Essential Aid and achieving those maturity levels, how does CyberOne work within those frameworks? Through CyberOne, one of the core principles for us was to surface security maturity metrics. What we do through CyberOne is we surface and report on secure score. I've been fortunate enough to see the evolution of SecureScore, where we really started with the Office product group, and now there's a secure score in so many of the Microsoft components. It is a basic but effective metric. We used to start the security posture discussion with our customers. That's the whole intention. 
we advise a secure score baseline of 70% for our managed CyberOne customers. We'd also take the opportunity through professional services engagements when they say, you know, what does good look like? No one wants a secure score of 20 or 40%. And then it's quite evident that they probably haven't invested much time in their security controls and security posture that they should have. You can't achieve a secure score of 70% without investing in several areas. And a lot of these areas draw parallels to other frameworks, as you mentioned, Australian Signals Directorate, Essential Act. We partner with Microsoft to deliver various security assessments for customers. This includes things like zero trust assessments, but also a specific assessment that we have built to show how the various levels of ASD Essential 8 can be achieved using the Microsoft technologies and capabilities. As you move through the ASD Essential 8 levels, it becomes not only about technology, but also the people and process aspects, which we also consult and provide guidance on. As you mentioned, laying a very strong foundation, getting the basics right, it's absolutely fundamental to ensuring that you, know, you actually have very streamlined security in an organization. So if there was a SOC team that actually had all the basics right, Kevin, and in your experience, you would have probably seen lots of these SOC teams, what would you actually recommend to them to further mature their SOC practices? Developing hunting practice is very important. As we've spoken around investing in automation, very, very important. But you're not going to get good or successful outcomes if you haven't done the basics or you're on the right trajectory in terms of closing off a lot of the gaps. So coming back to hunting is a very important capability to have within a team. You know, we could spend a whole session on going into hunting and you know, what makes hunting good and what kind of team do you need. I'll try and simplify some of the insights for you. Some of the recommendations that I would put forward is, you know, working with your most valuable assets first. Sometimes this is referred to as the crown jewels. Smart person who said this is if you protect everything like paper clips, all you will be left with is paper clips, right? Not all assets are created the same. So define baselines. Figure out what is normal within your environment. Again, use the smarts of the tools. Smart, not hard where you can. Work out specific use cases, but not in silos. Security teams are really, really good, but take the opportunity to connect with data owners, application owners, and hear from them, understand what's important from them from a security use case. What are the risks that they perceive? Then test and validate. Continue this process until you have sufficient coverage. There's never a dull day. As we're always learning about new tactics and techniques, review this with MITRE ATT&CK. You review the researchers, security researchers, review what's coming out in the community. There are two strategies if I try and simplify this, and granted there may be other strategies, but you can hunt for, for zero days. As a recent example of Felina, what we've seen, you can hunt for your exposure to Felina or supplement that with threat intelligence feeds in terms of what we're seeing in the wild, attackers wanting to compromise that, whether it's threat-based intelligence that you're hunting for, coupled with some of the other indicators of compromise. Hunt for these within your environment. Planning is important. Develop a thesis and don't be scared of failure. Step outside, try something that's new, but set a time frame for yourself. 
Don't spend endless time spinning your wheels on something that's not working. Take the lessons from that, refine your hunting, move on to the next. And don't over-engineer. <laughs> if you're using Acousta Query in Microsoft Sentinel, Microsoft 365, fantastic if you're a Acousta expert and you're able to merge different tables together and do joins and everything like that. If you're still coming up to speed, take a basic hunting query from the community and build on top of that. In no time, you'll be up and running with very advanced hunting queries and share your information. That would probably be my parting thought. There's a lot of good contributors in the community. Share your lessons learned. And if you're comfortable, share some of the hunting queries that you've developed so other people may want to benefit from that. I noticed that we're talking a lot about SecOps practices and how those are building now, but I find that when I'm dealing with a lot of SecOps analysts and security analysts, they are a little bit concerned at the moment that we're getting all of these wonderful tools and automation pieces and it's going to make them obsolete. So what would you say to those security analysts? I'd say this is a natural feeling. Embrace the change. I remember when public cloud technology was emerging, Exchange Server was going online. What we were going to do if we weren't doing database recoveries and defrags anymore, things like ESEUtil wouldn't be used anymore. Security tools need to and will continue to evolve, not to make security teams obsolete, but to rather bolster their capability and ideally remove some security distractions and allow them to focus on enabling their business and their organizations that they're a part of. As we're progressing, and really you've touched on a few topics around threat hunting, vulnerability management, and then incident response. Let's explore that a little bit more because it's very interesting. And I wanted to get your view and thoughts around IoT and OT security in the context of your CyberOne service. How do you leverage the integrated Microsoft security services or offerings to help amplify customers' protection across the estate of IT, OT, and IoT resources? What we're increasingly seeing is a convergence. We're seeing a convergence of sort of IT, OT, and IoT. There are separate and different environments, absolutely. I think I certainly speak for myself, probably coming from an enterprise background, the exposure to OT is almost a slightly different language. And you've got to be really respectful of that space. But where businesses, organizations are seeing the value of convergence, what this means in practicality is in some organizations, teams are being embedded rather than being siloed which I believe, in my opinion, is a good thing. There's a lot of valuable lessons that can be learned and shared across teams. We're seeing more deployment and adoption of specific tool sets that's really focused on addressing those niche threats, those niche sort of protocols and elements that we have within these environments. But using these tooling to surface incidents with existing tool sets that we have in the enterprise. So it's not necessarily one responder, but we have multiple responders being able to make sure that systems are operating optimally. And where there is a problem, the ability to be aware more quickly is really a positive coming out of the convergence of teams. Microsoft Sentinel, is also a key enabler as part of the strategy. 
pulling all the separate disparate sources together and providing that end-to-end visibility for teams is really, really important. Providing them with the flexibility to develop potentially the workbooks, the dashboards they may need to get insights that are really important to them as a team. Where CyberOne assists is surfacing this information, highlighting trends in a way that's easy to consume from a visual perspective. So teams can quickly identify areas for improvement or high activity and therefore respond effectively. So what we see is really an opportunity to maximize, yes, our investment in people in the different areas, but also in the tooling to simplify, standardize, and optimize. Gavin, as we're talking about, and even around some of the topics just then, so we're, we're looking at the analytics and understanding and, and we're ingesting all that information, being able to respond to those instances. But let's talk about threat hunting and the role of that and particular best practices. What do you recommend customers? You've spoken about reevaluating some of those days of when you've brought people in and taken them through those scenarios. So what advice would you give? Just for anyone that's not heard the term threat hunting, it'll probably take a couple of seconds and just give a bit of a definition. You know, threat hunting, it sounds really exciting and it is exciting. Threat hunting is the proactive effort of searching for signs of malicious activity, both current and historical. In IT infrastructure, equally applied to OT and IoT environments, that have evaded existing security defenses. You know, attackers are really smart, they're well-funded, and I think our mindset needs to shift to a certain extent. So when we think around sort of hunting, there's a couple of key components. Number one, you need a team. So assemble your team. The perfect threat hunter rarely exists. So remember what I said previously is take the win, Rather build a team rather than relying on single individuals that may be really, really good in their space. You're going to get much better outcomes if you pull a team of different individuals, but with similar traits, the inquisitive type, the determined type, the good communicators. Bring all of those people together. You're going to have much better outcomes. Again, point number two, data. No data, no hunt. Having the right logging infrastructure is really, really important, including detection capabilities across several pillars. Now, if we look at the key pillars, as we talk about so often in zero trust, including logging around identity, endpoint, network, and cloud, giving the ability to hunt across, using the smarts in the platform to use entity mapping. So I can see what's going on with this user. I see activity from email to the endpoint. I see identity compromise. I see then the cloud services being effective. This is really what you're wanting to tie all together when you're going through a hunting exercise. And finally, develop a hypothesis. You know, what is your idea? What are you looking for? Are you looking for indicators of compromise for log4j? as an example, paired with the threat intelligence IP that you have seen coming, maybe you need to tighten up your web application firewalls, things of that nature. It's really about being proactive. So develop the hypothesis, then test it. 
structure is really important. I wouldn't see this as an ad hoc exercise. It really needs to be scheduled, agreed, timeframes, because threat hunting takes effort and needs to have the investment from an effort perspective is really important. So structured hunting tends to be the most useful approach for organizations. This takes the form of goal-orientated sprints. Generally, they shouldn't last longer than two weeks. Obviously, this may be dictated by the size of the organization and the amount of resources that you're able to actually invest in your hunting team. We've been talking a lot about threat hunting and how we can use threat hunting and our scene solutions. One of the things that we haven't spoken a lot about is vulnerability management and vulnerability assessment and the strategy around looking at our vulnerability assessments and how that fits into our SOC and for our SOC analysts to look at. So how would you structure a strategy like that around vulnerability assessments, particularly thinking about our Australian and New Zealand customers from that ASD Essential 8 perspective? Absolutely. When we look at Australian Signals Directorate Essential 8, we know that patch management is a key component across all the different levels. So as your maturity improves and you become more efficient in terms of managing your threat and vulnerability management, there's a couple of things to consider. What we see from our data insights is vulnerabilities are still plentiful within organizations, unfortunately. This really creates a huge attack surface for the bad actors. It's difficult to be consistent without a number of elements to actually support your vulnerability management and assessment strategy. Number one, you need the right tools. When we consider patch management and vulnerability management tools, we need to take into consideration cross-platform. So this is patching your operating systems. Sometimes what we see from customers is they'll do really well from our operating system perspective. We've seen the evolution of the operating system almost to a certain extent patching itself. Where we see some misalignment is browsers. There's a number of browsers available. We quite often see zero days and exploits being published for the common browsers. Organizations don't often standardize on browsers. And sometimes this is because of legacy applications that they've got some technical debt that they would love to standardize and consolidate, but they're kind of hamstrung. So what is your strategy around legacy browsers? The other piece is third-party apps. So we move through the OS to the browser and now to third-party. This is really where we see the usual suspects surfacing. There have been no names mentioned, but I'm sure a lot of the ones that come to mind will be the ones that we see regularly surfaced. It's really important to have a succinct, consistent strategy across these three different areas. All of them need to be patched regularly and consistently. And I think this is where it feeds into the process. Process needs to inform things like schedule, update rings, testing. Obviously, sometimes patches can break certain elements. So consider those as part of your update and patch management process. I'd say the other thing is allocating a team with accountability. Often we sometimes see in customers' environments that there's a bit of confusion. Who's responsible for actually patching that third-party component? Hopefully it's standardized and it's not a shadow IT problem. When we're dealing with shadow IT and third-party apps, 
Obviously, that's where, again, we come back to the ASD essential aid. Hopefully, look at sort of standardizing and using things like application control, application whitelisting to make sure that we know which applications are used within the environment. We patch them regularly. Giving the team accountability is important, but also the ability to affect change. So listen to what is the feedback, what is the recommendations coming from the team as they learn how to be more effective and improve the strategy. The strategy specifically in this space, it can't be stagnant. Continue to revisit your strategy, your processes, get really better outcomes. This is where we use Cyber One to simplify once again and highlight the areas in terms of where patching is actually needed, supported by volume and numbers. If I'm going to run a patch management program, I want the most bang for my buck. Where is our most exposure? This may come down to the number of endpoints or critical systems. And we use this, again, to guide the conversation and help our customers reduce the risk profile. And then finally, Gavin, if we think about incident responders, what would you say are the top two or three things incident responders need to be successful in really dealing with this very escalating threat landscape that we actually see globally now? The right attitude. This will take you far. Most people can be trained as long as they have the right attitude. Some traits that people naturally have, and some of these can, yes, be developed, include things like being inquisitive, passionate to keep learning, an out-of-the-box thinker, an interest or a like of technology. We as an organization invest a lot in our people, our analysts, not only from a technology training perspective, Yes, aligned to Microsoft, but also in other areas as we've spoken to in terms of MITRE. So they deeply get an understanding of these frameworks as we've previously discussed. But I think it's important to not forget about investing in the human skills, the interpersonal skills. In my opinion, these are arguably more important. Yes, we are technical individuals, but I think these need to be invested in so we get good outcomes. If we think around incident responders, it's how do I effectively deal with high-pressure situations? How do I still communicate when I'm under pressure? What's an effective way to triage? How do I collaborate with my peers? How do I simplify the messaging for the business so they can give me the right tools, the investment? Some of those discussions tend to be less technical. That's probably a safe space for a lot of us. But how do we shift a little bit from that? We can be more effective, I'd say, when we're dealing with these difficult situations that we often find ourselves in. Well, thank you very much, Gavin, for your time this afternoon and your insights. It's been fantastic. And thank you for spending time with us today. I really enjoyed you exploring a couple of things. I think I took away a few lessons around don't overcomplicate. So really great practices. Thanks a lot. As always, Gavin, deeply insightful. Thank you. Thank you so much for making the time to join us on this conversation. Thank you, team. As always, it's been an absolute pleasure and I've really enjoyed trying to answer your questions. But as always, had a huge amount of fun. Thank you. You've been listening to Authorized Access, a show about the challenges that businesses face when it comes to cybersecurity. This podcast is brought to you by Microsoft ANZ. 
Microsoft offers a comprehensive set of end-to-end security solutions that span people, devices, apps, and data. For further information, please visit the website aka.ms/authorizedaccess. This podcast was made with strategy and production support from Wavelength Creative. To make sure you don't miss an episode of Authorized Access, be sure to subscribe to or follow the show in your podcast app. And while you're there, leave us a five-star review. It really helps others find the show. I'm Daniel Goffredo. I'm Jess Dodson. And I'm Kenny Singh. And we'll be back next episode with more Authorized Access. Authorized Access.